Good afternoon, my friends. It's Dr. G. Welcome back to another episode of To Your Health with Dr. G. Happy Wednesday on this great day. And guess what? We're going to keep it coming at you every week. That's right. We bring great content and today's no exception to it. I tell you what, I'm so excited to talk about what we're going to talk about today. The gut microbiome, a primer for beginners. And I tell you what, when we talk about gut, your health, we realize that your health does rely on everything that you're doing, and your gut is a very much a big contributor to how you feel on a day-to-day -day basis. So we're going to get into a lot of the details on that, and I tell you what, we're also going to talk about poo, because why not? You know, we're talking about your gut, we're talking about your intestines, and so you have to have that conversation, and we have to have candid conversation about this, because at the end of the day, we're trying to make sure that we continue to have health, we continue to have fulfilled lives. And without having this kind of frank conversation about your health, and then today about your intestines and your gut, it's going to be hard to get us to move that needle. At the end of the day, I want you to be as healthy as possible. I want you to have, have a great medical team that takes care of you. And I want you to do the great things that you're doing for you and your family. And so I'm so excited today to welcome everybody back to Tear Earth with Dr. G. Check me out on my website, www.drmarkgomez.com. Follow me on my handles, at To Your Health DRG. You're listening here live in Intellectual Radio. We're watching on Facebook. Hey, everybody out there. Yes, we're talking about the gut. So gut health. People are talking about it. It's one of the hottest topics in healthcare today. Everybody's talking about it. Physicians, chiropractors, naturopathics. You know, you name it who's in healthcare. Somebody's probably talking about this. And then it's so much in our common vernacular, whether you go to the stores or whether you're reading in magazines, you're going to hear something about gut health. So I'm excited to kind of break this down, but this is a primer for beginners. We're not trying to get super detailed on a lot. I mean, we're, we're going to talk about the science. Don't get me wrong on that one. But we're trying to keep this at a very relatable terms. So at the end of the day, if you have further questions, you can talk to your healthcare team. We want you to be armed with the right tools to make the right decisions. Again, this show is all about building trust and delivering truth. So I'm so excited to welcome everybody here today for this next episode. We're going to be talking about some fun stuff today, Dr. Kirilluk and I, and I'm going to introduce you to her in a few moments. But before we get into it, i got to hit you with a quick disclaimer. The content of To Your Health with Dr. G is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and that the content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Further details can be found at www.toyourhealthwithdrg.com slash disclaimer. So here we are today. I'm so excited. This is like my, you know, Dr. Kirluk and I, we've worked together for a long time, and she's seen a ton of my patients. And so when I came up with this idea of coming up with the show today, I was like, okay, I got to get her on. Uh, she's at the top of her game, and this is, the, this is the continued thing that we do on this show, is that we bring people that are credentialed in what they do, uh, people that are practicing, that are in the trenches, but looking out for you at the end of the day, caring individuals that truly want you to get, help you get to your goals. And Dr. Kirilluk is no, no, is, is, is no different in this one. She wants to help you get to where she's got to get to. So let me introduce Dr. Kirilluk. I'm going to read her credentials because her credentials are fierce. All right. Dr. Shivani Kirilluk, she's a board-certified gastroenterologist with Suburban Gastroenterology LTD. Check her out. www sgihealth.com. Dr. Kirilluk, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark. Hey, I'm so excited to have you here. Thanks and for having I'm, I'm, me. Hey, uh, thank you. My, you know, the gratitude goes that way. I tell you what, this is a great topic. But what, what, what I want to do is I want to introduce you to everybody. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where you did your school, your medical school, where you did your residency, uh, where you did your fellowship, and also kind of like what you think this, this theme today of gut health 
the microbiome means to you. Sure. <clears throat> so I did my internal medicine training and my GI uh, fellowship, both at Loyola University Medical Center, which is in Maywood. And I have been at Suburban Gastroenterology, which is a GI practice out here in Naperville for the past uh, almost six years now. And um, I really became interested in gastroenterology. Um, actually, my, my father is a gastroenterologist, and you know I actually would ground with him at Edward Hospital. I would, would wait at the nurse's station, and I was always fascinated by the pictures of polyps and ulcers that he brought home. So that's kind of my interest in, in GI. Um, started at a young age, and it definitely continues. Well, that's awesome. You know, everybody's got that story that gets them on their journey and your journey is continuing to blossom, and I've been, I've been watching from afar, but here we are today. Um, of course, the many patients that have come from my practice to your practice, and the great amount of feedback has been amazing. Uh, so I thank you guys for your support and helping, helping me do better with taking care of my patients too. And I always say I want to connect people, and it's really all about connectedness. Uh, you know, I was, at, I was at Harvard last week. Those of you that have been following me on social media, I was at Harvard over the weekend, and we were talking about really the power of, of connectedness. And it turns out that when people are connected, they essentially live longer. And that's a fact with that. So, so, so when we're talking about relationships with, our, with my patients, I want them to know that they're going to be seeing the people that I would see myself. And that's a fact. And so I'm glad to have you here, Dr. Kirilov, and we're going to talk about lovely, the lovely. GI, the gut microbiome. So let me give you a quick, quick heads up. Here we are. So what we do on this show, of course, those that are new, I have my guest. You just met uh, the amazing Dr. Kirilok. What we do is we break down the topic each and every week. We're going to go through some overviews on what it is. We're going to talk about some of the practical applications. And, of course, we're going to do my coveted best part of the show that I like mm -hmm. called Myths versus Facts. And we'll wrap it on up for you. But we really want to convey this message of, of engagement and hope that you continue to have this conversation going on. This conversation that we're doing today does not end here today. I want you guys to share it on social media, share it with your friends, and most importantly, talk to your physician. If you have any questions about your health, please reach out to them. She or he can continue to help you reach your health goals. So excellent. So let's do this. Everybody's talking about the gut microbiome. Everybody's talking about it. We see probiotics. We see all this kind of stuff. People are saying, eat these kind of foods, drink this kind of kind of drink. Um, and we're trying to figure out a little bit more where, the, where this is going. But why don't we start basic? Mm -hmm. What is the gut microbiome? That's a great starting question. So the microbiome is a community of trillions of bacteria and other organisms, including viruses and fungi, that live in us and on us. <laughs> And each person has a unique composition. So mine is different than yours. Um, and they play a role in digestion and metabolism. And um, they're important in, a, in essential nutrients such as folate and vitamin K. Um, they affect how we uh, store fat and how we balance the sugar levels in our blood. They're important in our immunity, how we fight illness, and even in our mood and stress levels. Excellent. You know, I always thought about this as I was preparing for the show, but also having read about this for a while. You know, this is something that won't go away. And, and it's interesting on the origin story, uh, because really when they started looking at the, the, the gut microbiome, of course, they, we, we thought about studying it to find out what's going on, and they looked at things like uh, host defense and and fighting against pathogens, things that can invade our bodies. But uh, from what I kind of gathered, it was more like a, this kind of evolved from an offshoot from the Human Genome Project uh, to the fact that the uh, National Institutes of Health actually uh, 
actually set up funding for this years ago. They actually yeah. started a project back in 2007 right. to kind of basically know the genetic sequence of the bacteria, the organisms. That's correct? That is absolutely correct. Uh, and, so. you said, and you said trillions, and I want people to understand that number. It's really somewhat of an unfathomable number mm -hmm. uh, because trillions of organisms, as you said. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, so I tell you what, let me ask you this question. So we know that the gut, gut microbiome is a living community. It's in us. You mentioned the bacteria, the viruses, uh, the fungi, and other micro, microbes. But does that develop? Like, does that develop when you're young, and then and, and then just further develops? Or what do we know about like the, the, the gut microbiome, the foundation when you're an infant? So uh, this microbiome, um, you know, it starts in utero, and it really the blueprint actually sets within the first three years of life really early on and there's a lot of things that um, play into it um, including you know sanitation practices um, if you were given antibiotics as, as a little kid um, exposure to germs diet eating you know a diet that's rich in vegetables and fiber um, so all these things even breastfeeding play play into our microbiome and, um, you know, there's some research out there that's showing that, you know, it's pretty stable as we're an adult, but um, it kind of varies at the extremes of ages. Excellent. Excellent. Let me ask you this question. I want to take a step back because you're, we're talking about the fact that we're looking at what is it, what its role in the disease. And for me as a primary care physician, what I think about is, again, how can we take something that's been researched and apply it to the day-to-day? -day? And again, specifically, what I think about our, our patients that are in our practices how does it help them be healthier? And so I always like to ask that question, the role in disease, and that's something that we're going to talk about in a bit. But I want to take a step back, because you mentioned a few different things related to the gut microbiome. But I want to even take a further step back. I like taking step backs, everybody. Here we go. So this is my question for Dr. Kirlok. Um, you know, in general, we know that we're mired in a lot of health diseases in this country. There's a lot of chronic disease burden. Sure. You know, I want to get your talk, talk, take on that. Like, what do you think we just need to be doing? What, where have we gone wrong? Uh, because we're seeing diabetes at an all-time high. Heart disease is still the number one killer uh, worldwide uh, amongst men and women. Uh, we're seeing the rise in the obesity, obesity epidemic. We're seeing a lot of chronic diseases. Where are we at? What do we need to be doing better to turn things in the, in the opposite direction and get healthier again? Sure. <clears throat> you know, I think that as a provider, it's really important to have patient education. That's why what you do, Mark, is so inspiring and amazing. Oh, <laughs> but um, I think um, reaching out to the community and having that patient awareness um, regarding their diet, how to eat healthy, you know, how to exercise, um, these things are, are definitely important. Um, you know, and, and we'll take a look at the microbiome in, in more detail and how mm -hmm. that plays a role in our health. But um, there's different things that, that you can do early on and even as an adult that kind of create an environment for healthy gut flora. But I think, um, you know, we just really have to reach out to our patients and, um, and, and just get them to have a why, what motivates them to be healthy because if it doesn't come from within, it's hard for them to stay on track and really adopt those healthy lifestyles that we, that we always preach to them. So. I, I tell you, I'm going to piggyback on what you said because you, you said the why. And when I kind of talk to my patients in my practice, I always like to talk about, okay, 
what do you want to do? And my thing is like the Dr. G approach. This is the Dr. G approach. I'll leave it. Give, give it a skinny. Uh, you know, I always say, what's the what? All right, what are you trying to do? And then the why. Why are you trying to do it? Because I want to know your story. And then once we establish the what you're trying to do and then why you're doing it, then we can start talking about the how. So the what, why, how, that's why the Dr. G approaches on things. But hopefully at that point, then we can start working toward these mutual goals. And you're right, Dr. Kerlick, it's, it's really education, but also hopefully trying to pay it forward on things that we're doing. So, you know, we're here today to have this conversation, but we're, try and we're trying to pay it forward, but we want to make sure that, that this conversation, again, keeps going. But it's education. I agree that's going to change things. And the lifestyle, there's no doubt. There's so much things related to the gut microbiome based on lifestyle that can have either advantageous or, 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 or dangerous um, uh, effects. So we're going to talk about that a little more. So let me ask you this. Uh, we're talking about your gut. We're talking about intestines. Yeah. And so when we think about the mi microbiome, and the microbiome is everywhere. I mean, we're talking about intestines today, but there's, there's bacteria in your skin, uh, you know, vaginal tract, you, know, you just name it. There's different parts of the body that have uh, mi microbes in them. But we're keeping our focus here on the intestinal tract. So, so let's try to break it down a little bit. You know, I think of going back to our old days of anatomy and everything, you know, we have, uh, we have our stomach and we have eventually our small intestine and then we have our large intestine. So where do the majority of these microbes live? Are they in the stomach? Are they in the small intestine? Are they in the large intestine? Maybe you can help give us a little more insight to that. Sure. So the majority of the microbiome lives in the large intestine. That's also called the colon. And there are, there are many more bacteria than any other part of the GI tract. Excellent. And, I, and from what my understanding is that the reason why we're not, it's not as much in the other areas, like the stomach, for example, just the high acidity environment, it's hard to survive there. Absolutely correct. And then I guess as you get closer toward, you go through the small intestine, as you get closer, mm -hmm. maybe towards the, towards the large intestine, the colon, then you're starting to get a little bit more, um, more micro presence. Because if you're a little bit too close to the stomach, you're still kind of reeling some of the effects of that near Acidic, acidic, if I can say it right, mm -hmm. acidic environment. Uh, so, uh, and then of course, as we enter to the large intestine, that's probably where your number, the trillions, comes comes from. Absolutely. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> so let me ask you this: People always want to know. They ask me, they're going, "All right, Dr. G, what's going on?" And I know they ask you this question: Should I be taking a probiotic? Uh, what's your answer when you see people come into your office? Do you just Give them a, uh, an answer right away, or do you want to understand a little bit more of everything before you maybe uh, uh, voyage into a, a, an answer? I get that question a lot. That, that's very true. And um, I think that the marketing um, strategies, you know, kind of have superseded and outpaced the scientific research that we have on prebiotics and probiotics. So I think we do have to be a little bit careful. A lot of times these supplements are not FDA regulated. And so you have to realize that we don't know the, always the exact amounts or you know, whether the strains are active, whether they're, you know, are they reaching the colon? Do they get killed off in the stomach? I mean, there's just things that, that we don't know because they're not always regulated. Um, and uh, a lot of the science um, has shown some improvement um, in certain conditions that science is constantly evolving. So I think it's always something that you have to talk to your doctor about before you just go ahead and start a probiotic. Um, and, you know, again, they all have different strains of bacteria, so it's hard to say, you know, a specific one should be used for a specific illness, but that's where, you know, talking to your doctor is going to be 
very important. You're absolutely right on that one. Where I, I just want people to, to ask me first before you blindly do something. Uh, trust your sources. You know, obviously, you want to be working with certified individuals and what they do, and not necessarily getting your health advice from an 18 year old who's trying to sell you products at a particular store. But but I always say it's your body, and your body is your number one temple. And so anything that you put in your body, I want you to know what you're getting into. Uh, I want you to continue to be your health advocate because you have to be. And certainly when we're talking about the potential links between your gut health and then overall health, we want to make sure that you're doing this the right way. So I usually kind of tell people, I go, again, I, 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 I go back to the what are we trying to do, why are you trying to do it, and then how are we going to finally get you to that goal uh, to understand. And so that your, your answer is like exactly mine. I go, well, well let's slow, slow down a bit. Let's make sure we know what we're talking about. So let's talk about this. There's various different things that you've, you, that you've talked about, uh, that you've alluded to, of health conditions, um, whether it's like inflammatory conditions, autoimmune conditions that we're looking at as far as things. What is the science really telling us right now? Do we know, like, are there, is, is, it, is it really direct links that, that the gut microbiome causes something, or is it much more, from your perspective, it's much more there may be an association, but not necessarily, not necessarily full causality? That, that is, um, you know, something that we don't know, the cause versus effect. So does um, a certain microbiome predispose you to developing a certain illness, or does the illness change your microbiome? So, you know, I really think that it's probably both, and um, I think that we just don't have all the answers regarding causality. Um, obviously, you know, in, in one um, situation, for example, uh, Clostridium difficile, we know that kind of when the good bacteria is wiped out, then you've got, um, you know, this overwhelming infection in your colon and and that does seem like it is in the setting of um, you know wiping out that that good bacteria but in terms of um, you know other other conditions and you know I really think that we're not too sure about cause effect it's probably both yeah excellent I know we're doing so well because you just think about the fact that we've I think we've evolved and we were talking about that the National Institutes of Health has essentially done something called the Human Microbiome Project. And so they've gone, uh, gone ahead and really tried to sequence a lot of uh, these microbes that live in our intestines and now trying to extrapolate from that what, is it, what, it, what it is doing for our health. And I'm hoping that we, continue, we can continue to evolve and put two and two together uh, to really see where it goes. But I would say like this, with, with technology and how things have been done, uh, I, I do see that we're going to see a lot more um, causal relationships in the future, but this is just really part of you as a person. You know, we want you to be successful in your health, and as I've said many times on the show, as you have success in your health, you're more than likely to have opportunities for further success in your life. And so there's no doubt that that's, there's truth in that. So let me ask you this question. Uh, uh, I like this one. I have this one for you. So, you know, you're a gastroenterologist, and you deal with a lot of disorders of the, of the gastrointestinal tract. Um, you know, th some orders of that, that are related to like inflammation. Uh, I think about like inflammatory bowel diseases, uh, Crohn's disease, ulcer ulcerative colitis, even like irritable bowel syndrome. What are we knowing about that in relation to the gut microbiome? Are we seeing any kind of uh, link between those two? Uh, definitely, I think that um, especially with inflammatory bowel disease and specifically ulcerative colitis, um, there have been some studies that show some improvement with using a, a probiotic, especially in a condition called um, pouchitis, is 
you know, something associated with ulcerative colitis where the ileum or the end of the small intestine is connected to the anus and the colon is removed because it's disease or it has you know, precancerous changes. And um, there's, and, and after that surgery is done, there's really quite um, a bit of a change in the flora uh, of that um, part of the intestine that is connected to the anus is called the J pouch. And um, a lot of times we treat that condition when there's inflammation, it's called pouchitis, with antibiotics and sometimes even um, a, a probiotic. So um, I do think that there's defi definitely a link to the, the microbiome and um, in this type of inflammatory condition in the gut. Um, you know, we think that sometimes with some of these autoimmune conditions that they have, um, patients who, who have IBD have less diverse and rich richness in their microbiome than, than other patients. So, um, again, sometimes doing things early on, you know, is, is also um, important in, in that uh, that blueprint that I was kind of alluding to previously. So let me ask you this question. I get this asked quite frequently. Say somebody's on an antibiotic for whatever condition, maybe it's a sinus infection or a bladder infection, I put them on something, but they always ask me, they go, doc, should I be taking a probiotic um, either during my antibiotic use or after? So kind of my thing, and this is just how, and this is how I am, and I maybe got no evidence to back it up, but I'm just telling you how I kind of practice some things, but I always say like, hey, if I'm going to drop a, drop literally a bomb off in your, in your GI tract, in your stomach, and it's going to disseminate and try to kill an infection, I'm probably going to be wiping out a lot of things, uh, including the good stuff. Uh, so I always kind of tell people, I go, okay, maybe uh, if I get, if you take a probiotic while you're taking an antibiotic, I might say, you might not get any benefits. I'm dropping a bomb on anything and it doesn't discriminate. But after that, I would say, okay, you can go ahead and try to do something afterwards and get back on your probiotics. What's your kind of approach on that? That's a good question. Um, you know, honestly, before, you know, looking into this and, and the actual studies and things like that, I generally would agree that my inclination would be to just um, tell them to start a probiotic that, you know, it, it, it may not, you know, help, but, you know, maybe it will, who knows. But um, definitely, you know, if, if someone has an acute diarrheal illness, I think going on a probiotic, um, whether they're just taking an antibiotic, I think um, obviously if, you know, uh, they should first make sure really to me the most important thing is do they really need to be on an antibiotic so um you know I, I think just putting yourself on a probiotic doesn't necessarily ensure that you're going to restore the microbiome to what it was beforehand so i think just knowing you know yeah you absolutely need to be on this antibiotic um you know obviously if you've had a history of c diff then you definitely want to alert your physician that, you know, I have this history of C. diff. You know, we, we know that relapses occur with C. diff. And so um, I would say that, you know, just making sure you have to take an antibiotic. Um, and it, it's still up in the air on, you know, whether or not we should be telling our patients to take a probiotic. Intuitively, it does make sense. But um, when I was looking into it into further detail, I don't think we have current guidelines about that. Very well. I was actually going to ask you about that. What does the American Society of Gastroenterology say um, about that? But I'm not too sure if they've come with a statement yet uh, as far as uh, probiotic use. Uh, interesting thing is that the reality is that even though they may have not have come with a statement yet, the reality is that people are still choosing to, to do these products, and you mentioned earlier that you want to make sure you have something that's safe. How does somebody know, like, if they're going to get into something that might be safe or something that might be dangerous? The reality is some of these, as you said, those, some of these companies are not, well, a lot of these companies 
are not regulated, mm -hmm. uh, so they're just trying to get your cash mm -hmm. instead, of, instead of caring about your health outcome. And, and I think that's the big problem that's going on with a lot of these supplement companies, I'm not trying to diss them entirely, maybe they have some more altruistic uh, motives, but the reality is that uh, you're making a claim mm -hmm. that uh, may not have any evidence to back it up, and certainly that company may have not put down any studies one of the things that we think about in, in science is where's the data? Mm -hmm. And so how do you kind of approach somebody that says, oh, well, should I do this product or this product? This one has this many billion units, colony-forming units of, of lactobacillus or whatever bacteria we're talking about. And this one's got 30 billion. Is there a, a, is there a way to kind of navigate that situation? Well, you know, I think that, again, um, it would be wise to see what kind of research the companies have done. Um, you know, I, I don't think that uh, it, it's something that I tell someone that the, there's one probiotic for every condition. You know, there are definitely certain probiotics that have been shown to be helpful in, in certain illnesses. But um, in terms of, you know, colony forming units and the amount of bacteria that you need, also that we just um, don't have good guidelines because it's not, you know, research, it's not um, something that's regulated. So, um, you know, it's just sometimes too much fertilizer can overwhelm your garden. So, you know, um, sometimes they can cause side effects. Um, and sometimes it is a little bit of, of trial and error. And um, so I think, you know, just when you do take the probiotics, realize that, um, again, they, they are not completely researched. Excellent. So. Let me ask you this question. You know, um, we're talking about food. Um, you know, a lot of people say, well, they're going to be, I should eat this food. It's fermented. Uh, I should do these kind of things to help my gut health. Um, let me ask you this question. Are there certain foods that we know that will maybe damage gut health? Um, certain foods, yeah, yeah, definitely. So, you know, I mean, experts think, you know, like art artificial sweeteners, um, refined carbohydrates, um, you know, I think there's, you know, just your processed foods, so um, crackers and cookies, you know, um, they don't have any much nutritional um, value to them anyways, but I think that, uh, you know, having a diet that's rich in fiber and um, vegetables, and having like a, you know, and, and not all fiber is created equal, you know, that's sometimes true. that fiber that's, you know, hard to chew on, like your celery and your broccoli and your asparagus, you know, those often tend to um, reach the colon and, and that's kind of where the good bacteria, they, they thrive on that type of um, fiber and kind of go to town. And then, and then, of course, you have things that are considered prebiotics and prebiotics are the undigestible food parts that kind of nourish your probiotics and as well as your microbiome. And you know, those are different foods like legumes and, and grains and, and certain fruits and vegetables. Th things so. that we kind of gone away from. And here's a fact, the reality is that the, uh, I would say the, the, one of the biggest reasons that we're having some health challenges in, in this country is the typical American diet. It has it is, uh, is caused chaos. Uh, to the to the point that that's a reason that's a driving factor of why we're seeing a lot of chronic disease burden. We've gotten away from that. Your legumes, they miss you. Uh, your fruits <laughs> and vegetables, they're asking for you. Hey, come! Don't forget about me, because the reality is that in the Western diet, we've gone through to the to the high um, the the processed, high calorie, high fatty, um, uh, animal based products. 
I'm not saying you have to be, a, you don't have to be, I'm not saying you can't eat that, it can't eat meat or chicken, but, but the reality is that a lot of those foods drive inflammation, we're talking about your, inf your, your intestines at the end of the day, mm -hmm. which can respond in so sensitive to inflammatory states, mm -hmm. uh, and just find somebody who's got acute diarrhea, you know, a lot of that's inflammatory based. Right. So, uh, so I think about um, that if we can go back to how we should be eating, mm -hmm. and I tell people this, when I was at this conference in Boston last week, you know, they talked about that a lot of countries that have now followed the U.S. diet, they're seeing the, the rise of chronic disease burden that, that we're seeing in this country that they used to never see. And actually now the healthiest diet on the planet is a third world diet because they're eating the legumes, they're eating the nuts and the seeds, they're eating mm -hmm. plant-based. And so that is a way, if we're talking about trying to have a difference between, between people that are going to have a healthy, um, a healthy and a diverse microbiome, we need to get back to that kind of thing. Absolutely. So let me ask you this: Couple, are there any other behaviors? Like I think I'm thinking about stress, smoking, alcohol, those kind of things. Have you seen that? Does that affect adversely affect the gut microbiome as well? Well, you know, I you know I think um, I kind of mentioned, you know, I really think that that you know there is a lot of this blueprint early on. So um, you know, the breastfeeding. I know not not of course everyone has that capability, but you know now I know. You can get donated breast milk, um, but uh, exposure to antibiotics, um, sanitation practices. So Purell is is not necessarily your friend. We should, you know, be exposing ourselves and possibly our offspring to, you know, some germs. Um, and then as an adult, uh, you know, just having that fiber in the diet. Um, in terms of you know alcohol and smoking, of course, I think those are. are probably not good things to do in general. Um, you know, how it affects the microbiome, I'm not, you know, 100% sure, but um, I know, you know, some of those things, and even the diet as an adult, you know, it, it may not completely affect the microbiome, but it, it definitely, I think, affects the metabolites that are produced by the bacteria in your gut, so. Excellent. Let me ask you this question. You mentioned, like, probiotics, um, and we kind of talked about those microorganisms that are believed to promote a healthy uh, a gut, talk about the prebiotics, some of the foods uh, that are necessary to help to give some, some uh, uh, serve as a substrate, an energy source or a fuel source for those um, uh, microbes that are deep in that large intestine. Mm -hmm. uh, I was reading some interesting things, uh, something called, and I wrote it down, something called symbiotics, where it's food ingredients or dietary supplements uh, that combine the probiotics and the prebiotics in a form of synergism, and then also something called uh, pharmabiotics, where now pharmaceutical companies are now th that, that are FDA regulated and they're trying to get some true data that can be uh, um, regulated and see if they can now have products that are pharmaceutical based to try to help the gut microbiome. I just find it fascinating that you're seeing this evolution, but it's an evolution that, that's not going to go away and somebody's going to find a way to have something that's, that's regulated properly and maybe something that might apply to, uh, to more of a broader population, even though we were unique with your, as you said in the beginning, your microbiome is different than mine, yeah. but maybe there are some broader reaches on things. What's your thoughts about where you think this is going to go in the future with the gut microbiome? I definitely think that, I mean, the, the research is really exploding, and um, it's just, just kind of really novel ideas. I mean, thinking about, you know, changing, if we can change the microbiome, um, I mean, that, that would be amazing if we can use that to treat illness. I think that's very exciting science that um, I, I would be excited to, uh, you know, to, to hear about the advancements that are going to happen. 
So um, I, I can only imagine what the future holds. Yeah, I think point. when we talk about disease, and I think as, as clinicians, we always want to try to do what's right for our patients. And we want them to have healthy lives, and we don't want them to be having things such as autoimmune disorders, and again, if, there, there's, if there's a link that's being researched right now, whether it's like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or other kind of conditions or, or even the inflammatory bowel disorders that you talked okay. about, even like the more common applications like mm -hmm. asthma, allergy, mm -hmm. headaches, um, you know, um, skin conditions, um, eczema. So, mm -hmm. so there's so many things that I think is, is really right to, to see what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm excited to see that. So let me ask you this question. So we're talking here, we're talking about the gut microbiome, and we can't, we can't, not talk about the gut microbiome without talking about stool. We can't talk about, we have to talk about poop as, as, as I, got, I got two kids, I like to use that word way too often, I think. And, uh, so a uh, five-year-old and a seven-year-old. And so um, adults kind of find it funny too, but we got to talk about your stool. And from my kind of research on this kind of stuff is that obviously the, the, the microbiome is, is just overabundant in our feces. So let me ask you this. There's something called a fecal transplant. What is that? What's going on there? And then why are we doing that? And uh, yeah, <laughs> so stool transplants. Yeah, I love bringing up fecal transplant at a party because it always adds shock value. It's just kind of a wild concept, but it's um, you know it has amazing. Um, uh, efficacy in, in treating Clostridium difficile. I think that's kind of where we first um, heard about it, and that's its main application at this point. But they're seeing if um, fecal transplant can be used in other illnesses as well. There's lots of cl clinical trials that are ongoing. But basically what um, a fecal transplant entails is taking the stool from a, a healthy donor. The screening process is quite rigorous. I actually looked this up. <laughs> hey, you can't just See, take it from some random yeah, person. You know, one healthy donors. Yeah, I got you. Know, you. you never know. Your stool <laughs> could save lives. So, but I mean, yeah, they check you for lots of different viruses and bacteria. Make sure there's nothing pathogenic that could be transferred to someone else. But in any case, so that's made into a liquid preparation. And that um, is then eventually given to um, someone who's in need of a fecal transplant, for example, someone with recurrent C. diff. Um, and that can be done in different delivery methods. So the most common is a colonoscopy. Fair enough. And my partner does that right what here are, in uh, there, are, there, there are other uh, delivery <laughs> methods that just by uh, doing a colonoscopy to get uh, your feces in you, somebody else's feces in you. Yes. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, yeah, there are. Um, so you can actually... Do it through a, a nasal duodenal tube. Yeah. Yeah, that's and sometimes I mean even now they're coming up with capsules and even enemas, so Different ways. So let me ask you this question because I like to get granular on this kind of stuff. So you mentioned it's done through a lot of it, most commonly done through a colonoscopy. So that will that involve somebody actually doing a prep to kind of clean themselves out before? Yeah, they do. Before, yeah, kind yeah. of get rid of your bad stuff and uh, yeah. clean out your stool and yeah. go that way? Yeah, you're actually on um, the, like vancomycin for C. dip for several days beforehand. Okay. Then you take a lavage, which is, you know, the, the famous prep that you usually do for colonoscopy. You take some of that and to clear out the, the bacteria or at least reduce the, the burden of the bacteria. And then, um, you know, you got the, the new stool from someone else and somehow that colonizes and um, you know and, and a lot of studies is greater than 90% efficacy rate which is quite remarkable. Um, I think even one study said that at 22 months there was no recurrence of up to 82%. I mean that's 
quite remarkable <laughs> for such a serious illness. So well, well, I tell you what, if somebody's been struggling with their health and this is their option, you know, they've, they've tried the different medications uh, for their okay. infection, and this is their and they answer to have some quality of life back and not keep it ended up back in the hospital. Yep. Um, that's the route. So yeah. I thought that was very interesting. So I did a little research on this one. So um, uh, MIT actually has one of the most rigorous uh, um, uh, programs of cultivating and storing somebody's stool. So mm -hmm. in uh, 2000, uh, and I believe in 2012, uh, a group of scientists and researchers at MIT came up with something called the Open Biome. Uh, check them out, www.openbiome.org. And they decided to create a, like a stool bank um, and it's interesting. It's not like it's like, it's like going to your bank to get your money, um, or but but where where people will donate their stool, yeah. um, and and the, and they'll actually store it for future fecal transplantation. So congratulations to the people at MIT. Uh, but they have one of the most vast things. And it's interesting, as you said, it's a very rigorous process. Not 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 somebody yeah. you can't just be like, hey doc, I want a stool transplant. Uh, and then it happens like the next day. It's, yeah. it's not like that. No, not at all. <laughs> they say it's harder to, you know, be a stool donor than like get into Harvard or yeah. something. You know, yeah, it's a very, I, I can, very rigorous I, I, process. And, and if the guys so. at MIT are doing this kind of stuff, yeah, there's got to be yeah. some rigors involved. Yeah. So, so say somebody wanted to get out there. There's also an interesting fact. So say somebody says, you know what? I want to know what my stool microbiome looks like. I want to know what my genes look like. And maybe I'll get some information out of that. Actually, there's a project called the American Gut Project. You can check them out at humanfoodproject.com slash American Gut. And for 99 bucks, I was on that website today. Really? I, did not, I did not pay any money, but I was That's on that website today. Bad. For 99 bucks, anyone can get their gut microbiome sequenced. Uh, now, you'll probably get some information. You'll have to kind of do your own collection and then mm -hmm. mail it in. But I thought that was very interesting for 99 bucks. So somebody's out there that wants, is curious enough to want to know what their stool's like uh, as yeah. far as the bacteria components and everything, the distribution. Uh, I thought that was very fascinating and cost-effective at the same time. That's a good price, I have to say, because there are commercial-based companies um, that have kind of, you know, grasped onto this, and, and you can, you know, but it's usually $400, $300, I mean, so uh, that's a good price. you got to get, like, a crowdsourcing <laughs> thing going on to get, a, like, a GoFundMe account for your, right. uh, for your uh, <laughs> uh, fecal yeah. biome sequencing, uh, microbiome sequencing. So the reality is this, you know, it's interesting. I think about, like, again, the, the, the microbes that we have, you know, the, the genes that are involved in them, they, they, they are actually one of the things that came out of the NIH project was they said that the genes that are in the microbiome are uh, more responsible for human survival than our own human genes. And I thought that was quite fascinating that they came to that conclusion. Um, and, and I was like, wow. But, but, but we're really talking about this very, very mutualistic effect. You know, it's like us as people, and then we have living organisms in us. Yeah. That, and there's like this mutual relationship. And I think that's just, it's just crazy when you think about it. You go, wow. I've got something in me. I know I'm living. I'm alive. I've got my organs. I've got my heart. My, my, my kidneys are working. It's great. Yeah. But I've got a living entity in me. And I think that's an interesting thing to tell people today. Yeah. So it's just so funny because like, you get excited about this kind of stuff because I think it's a great kind of thing going on with the research and everything. So let me ask you a couple more questions here and yeah. then we'll get into uh, my myths versus facts. Okay. So, uh, again, everybody's trying to do probiotics. There's no doubt. Everybody's trying to jump on the bandwagon. If you're not jumping on the bandwagon, then, then, then you're probably going to jump on it because your friend's going to tell you to do it. Um, but we're looking at, again, general health. So, uh, so I want to ask you this. You know, I, I, I had to keep coming back to, like, the practical role in disease. Um, 
uh, for me as a primary care doc, you know, I, obviously seeing asthma and and allergies, I, I just think it's just fascinating that something that's in your intestines can potentially have effects outside of your intestines. Uh, and, and I think it's just fascinating when you think about health. So let me ask you this question. Do you get excited doing this kind of stuff on a day-to-day -day basis? I do. I mean, I was very excited when uh, you told me that we were going to talk about this topic because uh, there's so much research out there that's being done. And, um, you know, I think that if we can tap into, you know, altering the microbiome um, to, to treat illnesses, I mean, I hope that's the future. Um, but, I mean, that would be very exciting. And I think it's just, just a kind of a, a wild concept that we're just, you know, in the last, you know, 10, 20 years have been talking about. It's like, it's like to me, as, and I was a kid growing up, I'm watching science fiction movies and stuff like that. And you see these futuristic movies and you say like, wow, you know, is that going to be like in my lifetime we're going to see that? And, and, and just because the explosion of how things are done and the science has evolved, we're seeing something that maybe people only dreamed about. Interesting thing that I found out is that uh, people have been doing like fecal transplants ages ago, and I think actually in, in ancient China yes. they were doing that. And I go, that's that's insane when you think about it that yeah. people centuries ago were were doing this kind of stuff. And you kind of think like that was kind of barbaric back then, but now like maybe they were right. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> All right, so I want to get into this section called Myths versus Facts. It's something that we do each week on To Your Health with Dr. G. Again, you're listening to us here on intellectualradio.com. You're watching us live on Facebook. Uh, we're going to get into some myths versus facts. So, uh, so each week what I do is I ask my guests, I say a statement, myth or fact, I think I might participate. Since it's just me and you today, I'm not going to ask all the statements to you. Okay. Uh, I might actually participate. Sometimes I actually participate in my own myths versus facts. <laughs> Sometimes I don't. Uh, but, but this is designed to help people out there um, really set the record straight. We know that navigating your health can be complex. It can be hard. It can be time-consuming. It can be frustrating. Uh, and so that's why on what I want to do as I have the show and you meet my guests, again, I surround myself by people that, that know, first of all, they know a lot more than I do. Uh, there's no doubt about that, but I surround myself by people that can help pay it for the information here. And so when you're out there thinking about your health, uh, you know, again, make sure you're doing the right things. But there's a lot of misleading information out there, and so we want to set the record straight. So here we go. Myths versus facts. The gut microbiome, a primer for beginners. And so here's the first statement. So Dr. Kirillik, I'm going to say the statement, and then you say myth or fact, and then you say maybe a few sentences why. And we're going to do it kind of rapid fire. Um, there are right answers. I'm not trying to stump you. Uh, I'm not trying to stump myself. I don't think I'm going to try to participate because I never participated in this game. But we're going to get right into it. So here we go. Statement one. All right, I like this one. Here's the statement. <clears throat> when it comes to probiotic use, a greater number of colony-forming units always equates with enhanced effects. Myth or fact? Myth. All right. Please explain why. Um, again, we just don't have the research in terms of quantities of bacteria. Um, so I, I think that there is something to be said about, you know, you, you do have to have enough bacteria where it's not killed off in your stomach and it reaches your colon. Um, so, you know, I know a lot of my patients just want to eat a ton of yogurt and, I mean, I, I, I think that's great, but, um, and those do have some, you know, live cultures in them, 
but you're just not gonna get the amount that you would get in a probiotic. Um, so there is something to say about numbers, but when you're dealing in, in those kind of numbers that you see in probiotics, you know, again, sometimes too much is not necessarily required, or, and sometimes it can cause side effects, so. Correct, yep. excellent. So here we go, <laughs> I'm gonna do this one. I'm gonna give myself an easy one, so I'm gonna give myself a home run since it's my show. So here we go. Mm -hmm. Here's a statement. <clears throat> I like this one. Gut bacteria are involved in a host of immune and metabolic functions. That is a fact. And again, as we talked about in the beginning, the gut microbiome, the gut flora has a few different responsibilities. We talk about defending against pathogens. We talk about uh, fortifying your host defense. We talk about metabolizing otherwise indigestible foods, components of foods, helping train the immune system. We didn't even get into it, but there's now being some more research being looked at the gut brain access and how that kind of works with um, with uh, the gut microbiome. So I will say that's a fact. Here we go. Next statement here we go for Dr. Kira. Look, uh, let's do this one. All fermented foods are probiotic foods. Do we know that if that's a myth or a fact? That's a myth um, because beer, for example, <laughs> uses <laughs> yeast to uh, ferment, you know, the, the, the food. Fermentation but, process, yeah. Right, exactly. But, um, you know, in terms of that product, they take steps to kind of remove some of those organisms. Excellent. And uh, some of the foods that, uh, on a side note, some of the foods that a lot of people will ask me about, like, should I eat this to help support my gut? Yeah. And, you know, and they'll tell me things like, you know, I'll mention things like, you know, kefir. Um, obviously, you mentioned yogurt a few moments ago. Yeah. Miso, tempeh. Um, uh, so there's a lot of different food groups. Some people do kombucha, kimchi. Right. Um, mm -hmm. So people are doing certain things to hopefully try to get the be the benefits. Uh, but I still say when it comes to other kind of foods, it's still getting back to our foundation of proper eating um, and having diversity in your microbiome with a healthy diet, as I mentioned a few moments ago, that it's the third world diet is kind of the healthy diet this day and age versus our very Western diet. All right, here we go. Mm -hmm. Myth versus facts. I'm going to do this one for me because why not? We're doing an alternating thing here. It's all good. We're going to keep it going. Myth versus facts. So here we go. I like this one. <clears throat> um, the gut microbiome of Americans and most other westernized, industrialized populations is less diverse and dominated by different bacterial species than that from people from rural, less developed populations. I just said a second ago, I think the answer that is a fact uh, because the diet has, has uh, our high Western diet has led to a lot of chronic disease burden. And that's one of the biggest threats that we see in our country as as a, and for me as a physician, as I'm treating chronic disease, is getting back to the roots of our diet, how it used to be. Again, we're talking about more plant-based uh, uh, approaches and staying away from the high, st the, 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 the high fatty, uh, a lot of animal-based stuff, and certainly um, the processed foods. All right, here we go. Mm -hmm. Dr. Carol, look, here we go. This one's for you. I like this okay. one. Uh, myth or fact? Okay. It is important to focus on a whole food diet rich in prebiotic items and fermented foods to help stimulate the growth or activity of the gut microbiome? Okay, so um, I do think that a lot of those foods uh, do have nutritional value to them. Um, you know, obviously, uh, you, know, you know, you have to have the good bacteria for a prebiotic to work. So, um, you know, taking a prebiotic without a probiotic, I don't know if that makes too much sense, but um, I do think that some of the fermented foods do have some nutritional value to them, but 
I'm gonna go back to what you said. <laughs> Eating a diet that's high in fiber, lots of vegetables, um, is, is gonna be one of your best bets. Yes. And that's gonna be a best bet for a lot of things, including chronic disease burden. Here we go, we'll do a couple more of these and then we'll wrap it on up. Here we go, here's myth versus facts. I guess I'll do this one, and I might need to get an assist on this one from you since you're a, a practicing gastroenterologist, but I'm gonna go ahead and take a stab at this one. So here we go, uh, I like this one. Fecal transplantations should be seen as a last option for patients with ongoing gut microbiome dysfunction. And I would say, uh, I'm going to say, um, I have a problem. I'm going to say, maybe it maybe might be in the middle. I'm going to say myth or fact. Because uh, I don't know if I like that term. As, and I was the one that came with these, mm -hmm. with these statements. I don't know if I like what I wrote. What's up with that? Uh, but, but I wrote the, the gut microbiome dysfunction. I think that, as you mentioned earlier, that the research really has been primarily done with C. diff and not necessarily other kind of disorders where you're looking at, at fecal transplantation. I think, I think the research still has to be done when, the, when it comes to other disorders. So I'm gonna go say that, that you know, there may be other options for patients based, based on the mm -hmm. underlying uh, medical diagnosis instead of jumping to fecal transplantation. And, and, and also because we don't know the extent of fecal transplantation outside of maybe C. diff, where right. all the data is, mm -hmm. it's hard to say that that question is applicable to other forms of gut uh, microbiome dysfunction. Am I okay? You got it. <laughs> All right. Thank you. All right, good. I was like, I was like, maybe that works, but but it makes sense and things. Again, we want people to know that you know, you know, we're 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 saying today that we want you to be aware of things. You know, again, at the end of the day, I want you to have more conversation with your doctor. But we're having a discussion here to try to set the record straight. And yes, it's a it's a it's a it's something that's evolving uh, with gut health, and and there's still a lot more that we need to still know about. So so again, we're you know we're trying to answer some of these statements, but knowing that that even us as practitioners. There's still more that we need to know, too. Absolutely. All right, so here we go. We'll do this last one here on for Dr. Kierluck, Myths versus Facts, the Gut Microbiome. Here we go. Ooh, we didn't even talk about this one, but I like it. Here we go. Uh, having a pet can increase your overall microbial diversity and hits potentially lower rates of allergies and obesity. So I would say that's, so far, I would say that's probably true. Fact. Yeah. I mean, um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, having a pet definitely brings in a lot of germs. And, uh, you know, again, we talked about exposure to germs. You know, that's really important for our immunity and um, for building a healthy microbiome. Um, in terms of allergies, you know, again, the having that good bacteria is so important in homeostasis, which is the balance, you know, creating an inflammatory response when, when there's a pathogen and kind of shutting it off when there isn't one. So I think um, having um, a good microbiome is, is definitely important. And if a dog alters or, you know, aids in, in creating a good microbiome, maybe perhaps, you know, it would help in some of these autoimmune conditions. And honestly, if, if, if you're a couch potato and you decide to take you have a dog and now you're going to take the dog out for a walk every day you know it's definitely a win-win you're getting your exercise you're getting exposure to germs you know, everything <laughs> foundation there we go well there you guys have it. this week's episode of myths versus facts on tear with dr g so we got about five minutes left guys We've been having a great discussion, uh, me having my exclusive interview with Dr. Kierluk about the gut microbiome. It's just been such a great time talking with you and everything. We're going to wrap this one up. So uh, why don't you give us a few take-home points? What are some things that people can do to be successful or if they want to find out more information about the gut microbiome? 
I think definitely talking to your physician before you start a probiotic, what are your expectations about the probiotic. A lot of times a probiotic cannot be a substitute for other standard medical treatments. So I think that's very important. And then, um, you know, leading a healthy lifestyle that's rich in um, fiber and vegetables. Uh, I think that's really important too, um, you know, and, and like we said, even though we may not be able to completely alter the microbiome, perhaps there's, there's going to be new information out there that tells us how, how we can alter the microbiome. That's really where, you know, the science is going to get exciting. But um, just having that good diet definitely, I think, um, creates, you know, the metabolites and good byproducts from the um, gut flora that we do have. Um, lastly, you know, I just think that uh, um, in terms of all this, you know, this research, um, you know, just stay tuned because things are really evolving. And so we're, we're going to be having um, more and more insights into how we can um, use the, the microbiome in terms of um, you know, prevention in terms of treatment and diagnosis of disease. And we definitely know that having a rich microbiome um, is, is going to be really important. And, and some of those things that we can do early on, you know, uh, I think are important. Um, those, you know, beginning, beginning early years are, are definitely important for, you know, anyone who's going to have a newborn or, you know, I, I don't know how much you can do. You know, I wasn't breastfed. I mean, lots of different things that play into it. It's definitely multifactorial. But, um, you know, um, that blueprint, you know, I think is, is important. And um, and obviously, you know, you know, do you really need to be on an antibiotic? And all those different things are, are things to be thinking about. Excellent. So, well, thank you very much. Yeah. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Uh, my final thoughts are this. Even though the gut microbiome is an exciting, super exciting field of interest, you know, when it comes down to the nitty-gritty and it comes down to specific disease states and its role, I believe that we've, we, know, we don't know as much now. I mean, we know, much, we know stuff now, but there's more for us to know that we don't know right now than, than we currently do know. So again, the future is going to be exciting. It's going to be great to be part of it. Second thing I'd say is that, that even though we have this role and we're still continuing to study this, I think more studies need to be done. Without a doubt, more large-scale clinical trials need to be done, and it's interesting about pharmaco, um, uh, what I call ph pharmabiotics, and see what that role might be in the future in helping out things. But we need more studies done with more people involved uh, to finally to find out the true link between um, between pro uh, between the microbiome and disease. And then, last but not least, talk with your doctor. That's the most important first step that you can do with any question that you have. Find your doctor, ask him or her. If they know, great. If they don't know, they'll certainly get you to somebody like Dr. Kirilluk, who, who, who studies this stuff, and some of her team that's, that's really experts. But again, you have to be your biggest advocate. Research everything that you're going to do. Know what you're putting in your body, and at the end of the day, I know that you're going to do the right things, and you're going to be right back on that pathway of staying healthy for the long haul. So I want to thank my guest today. This has been great. I'm going to thank my guest, Dr. Shivani Kirilluk. you got to check her out. Board-certified gastroenterologist at mm -hmm. Suburban Gastroenterology. Check her out at www.sgihealth.com. You've been listening and watching live on Facebook at intellectualradio.com. This episode is written by Mark D. Gomez, MD, and Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Producer is Tiffany E.R. Gomez. Music is by the wonderful Mr. Havis. Copyright 2019 by MDG Wellness, LLC. 
all rights reserved. Check out my next week's show, Stroke 101. If you enjoyed today's show, please be sure to like and share it on social media. Audio Replay is available on your favorite podcasting app. Simply search for To Your Health with Dr. G, subscribe, and press play. Don't forget to check out my e-commerce store on my website, www.drmarkgomez.com, to get some awesome To Your Health with Dr. G swag. We'll catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Let's keep this health revolution going strong. Peace out.